This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today examines Matthew 21, 12 through 22, which examines the stories of Jesus overturning the tables in the temple and cursing the unfruitful fig tree. Together, we will be discussing the importance of allowing Jesus to cleanse our hearts such that our hearts produce the fruit he always intended. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizano Podcast. Uh, Back with you this week to uh, go back to um, where we were in Matthew, but to continue our journey through Matthew. So just as uh, a quick reminder, because of Easter happening last week, uh, we took a, a large jump forward in the uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and we looked at Matthew chapter twenty eight verses one to fifteen, uh, which specifically is the account of Jesus's resurrection and this uh, side situation that happened with the guards who were told to fabricate a story to to spread to counteract this idea that Jesus had risen, um, and as a result of this, we discussed our call as Christians, to proclaim his truth wherever we go. Uh, This week, we're going to be jumping back into where we had been before this, uh, which is in Matthew chapter 21. Uh, Specifically, we'll be looking at uh, verses 12 through 22, uh, which examines the stories of Jesus and the temple and Jesus' cursing of the fig tree. And just as a reminder of the context, this is immediately following uh, the report of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, So I believe today we have Derek reading for us. So Derek, would you read Matthew 21, verses 12 through 22? Yes. Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. All right. Thank you for reading that, Derek. Um, so let's go ahead and and jump in. What are you guys seeing here in this passage? Well, first, I think that this is a pretty pretty loud entrance for Jesus. So he's he's just entered, right? We this this kind of comes out of this this triumphal entry where he's re- 
ridden in on donkey and kind of now he's establishing himself in Jerusalem for this Passover festival. And his first kind of act here in Matthew is to go into the temple. And this isn't just just a, you know, a little booth set up in the corner, like a little welcome table. I mean, this is like a full-blown market inside the temple courts, which as we have discussed um, here before we were on the air, this is the this is the Gentiles kind of space of worship. And so Jesus comes in here and this this huge market, he begins to just dismantle it to get the animals out and and people driving them out just the same. He's flipping tables and booths over. I mean, you can just see this complete chaos ensuing. And I just I imagine those that aren't terrified for their lives or wandering about their livelihood, right? are probably these chief priests who are sitting there watching this happen and thinking to themselves, who does he think he is? Mm. And so I think we just, we enter in on this scene that's just absolute chaos and really Jesus walking into this really clear picture of him as having some level of authority, even if no one else knows it yet. So he's, he previously, like we talked about um, in, in the triumphal entry, he he entered as a king and kind of, you kind of alluded to it, Natasha. For me, I just, I see this as another reminder that that he has this authority that, that, as you said, they don't really understand. And so for him to come in as like an outsider to them, you know, to the, to the, uh, chief priests and, and the 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 leaders, you know, they're seeing him in this and and still frustrated by his position and and this question of like who do you think you are to do this? And so it's just another another way for Jesus to establish his authority before man of of trying to return the temple to its intended purpose and. Um, trying to restore what has been broken and and you know it's it's almost as if you could look at it as a s- symbolic of this end to this sacrificial system that has been in place for so long that Jesus is bringing an end to that because as we're going to see going as we read about last week you know he he was he was crucified and 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 resurrected but yet they they don't yet see that and so it's it's like a call to the end of what they've known and something new coming. You, you talk about like this is a, another moment where Jesus is stamping his authority, but the people like don't necessarily understand it fully or may not really recognize who he is or what he's doing. And yet um, you see the you see the the children in in this passage are are calling out, Hosanna to the son of David, like the children in this passage do in fact recognize who he is and the authority that he has. And if we again go back to, you know, refer back to the triumphal entry, like there are crowds shouting the same thing. Like people do recognize who he, who he is. It's, it's the religious establishment that doesn't want to recognize who he is. I mean, before the children recognize who he is, it's the blind and the lame that come to him. Like even the blind people 
recognize who he is. Like, yes, chaos has ensued, as you pointed out, Natasha. Like, the 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 temple has been thrown into pandemonium, and yet the blind people are still willing to come to him in the midst of the chaos. They're still willing to come because they recognize who he is. They they know the authority that he has, and knowing that he has that authority, they recognize him as the Messiah, the one who can deliver them, and so they want to be there. Um, and so you you have you have the outsiders, the outcasts, and the children who recognize who Jesus is and where this authority comes from. It's just it's it's the religious establishment that doesn't want to either come to grips with who he is or wants to reject it or whatever, because it's a threat to their authority or their position of influence. Um, and so you, you kind of just see the, the two sides here. And, and we talked about that last week with the, the, right. um, the elders and the, the chief priests and like what it was going to cost them. And so they wanted to perpetuate the lie and, mm-hmm. and cause the guards. And so, Obviously, in these seven chapters, nothing has changed for the leaders. Like, even as we see Christ crucified, like killed and, and you know, and, and resurrected, the whole process, nothing changed for them. Like, they're still they're, trying to hide it. They're still trying to tuck it away. And still, like, grasping at, like, we've talked about before, grasping at that power. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to give up this like authority because, like, look at everything that I've garnered because of my position. And it's not about the truth, or like we talked about, it, it's not about his truth. It's about, you know, truth as far as, like, how it affects me, and I want to perpetuate my truth. So, yeah, it, it's just uh, nothing changed in that amount of time. Right. They, they're still grasping at the same things. So when I look at this, I see the temple as two, two different things. Um, I see the temple as the church, and I see the temple as me personally. And when you guys are talking about, specifically, Nick, when you were talking about the two different responses to the chaos, you know, the children are saying, you know, Hosanna, and the the religious leaders are, you know, who does he think he is? Um, I, I, th- I have to think about, you know, if Jesus is calling us to change things up, if he's calling us to change the way personally we're doing something or if he's, you know, reaching in the depths of our heart and finding those things that, that are not of him and flipping them over and causing chaos as far as, you know, in our heart and, you know, just this unsettledness that, you know, we need to change. What is our response? Is our response, oh, Jesus, thank you. Or is our response, you know, who do you think you are? Like, that's, that's just the way I am. Mm. Um, that's, that's just the way I, I do things. Um, but that also can be put into, um, context of the church. Um, if, you know, if God is calling us to really, I, I feel like in, especially in this day and age where there seems to be, um, churches are struggling, um, universal, you know, it's, it's hard to get the generations that are coming up, um, engaged, um, People want to be entertained. And as a lot of times we go there and we, we meet them there, are, what are we sacrificing? And what, you know, if we can exa- ex- you know, examine what we're doing and if Jesus is calling us to do something different 
and it's causing some chaos, is our response, Hosanna, or is it who do you think you are? So, Brittany, as you were talking, I want to jump back just a little bit to your conversation about the stuff you said about I think the church really spills out of what's in our personal life. So I'm going to go back to that for just a moment. Um, but the this 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 conversation of Jesus coming in and upsetting kind of what's in our heart in his process of transformation, we believe Jesus speaks to us in a variety of ways, and it may not always be scripture that's speaking. It may not always be the Holy Spirit that's speaking directly to us. Instead, Jesus may choose to use a member of his church body to speak to us. And I think that, and I I point this out because I feel like this is one of the hardest areas for us to really allow Jesus to speak to us through, is when it's coming from another person. And honestly, usually it's because we're being too pharisaical, really, or too Too chief, yeah, too chief priest-like to see that the table's being turned. Like Jesus, the Holy Spirit's been trying to turn him for a long time, and Scripture's been trying to turn him for a long time, but we just are missing it. And so Jesus, as a last straw, is putting, you know, actual, like, physical, tangible being to his message. And, you know, as kind of like one more, one more, you know, pursuit to help us grow in him and to help us be transformed into his image. And so I think as you were sharing that, it just, it made me consider what areas I think in my life, are there people who I know are pursuing Jesus? And I'm not saying, I, I want to be careful, right? You shouldn't just buy the advice of anyone, right? You should definitely test anything and everything. But there needs to be people that you have in your life and probably just about everybody in your church, at least those who you, who you are regularly journeying with, who you've given permission to honestly speak to you, be- believing them, right? That they are listening to the Holy Spirit and that if they come to you with something, it really, it really is likely Jesus and that we really need to, to, be open and be willing to consider those things so that we can grow. So we don't get stuck just remaining indignant and stubborn, stuck in our little temple heart, refusing to change and refusing to hear a difference or refusing to allow difference. Yeah, actually (laughs) that just happened to me yesterday. Um, Yesterday, Derek and I were on a walk and we were having a conversation and I am in the medical field, so I'm very medical minded and I know how things work in the body. And he was, um, he was talking about how cool it was if Jesus did a miracle. And my response was, well, this is what's best. And this is probably what's going to happen. And he was like, oh, you don't have he said, you have a lack of faith. And I got so defensive. And I think that was really, I think that really was like truly when I was like, oh, like, but I didn't realize it until you were talking about it. Um, but you know, that defense was really me. Like, who do you think you are? Like, who do you think you are telling me that I have little faith? And I think I actually said those exact words. You did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't that calm. It was not. <laughs> 
was not. But, you know, and that, I mean, and all he was trying to do is point out something that maybe, you know, Jesus has probably been trying to tell me for a while now. Um, and, but because, you know, because it came from my spouse, it was a little harder to swallow, I think. But yeah, I agree. I think, yeah. Ditto. I have plenty of those with Nate too, so... <laughs> You guys have been talking a little bit about the church. And so for me, I, I think it'd be wise of us to like jump back to verse 14 and talking about the blind and the lame coming to the temple and what that represented and how they were viewed as not being acceptable of the temple. That wasn't a place that they should have been. And this is Jesus again. And I wonder how often like we are like they were in this instance how we're trying to prevent certain people from coming to the temple because they don't measure up in our eyes. And I mean, I'm sure at some point we've all been guilty. And unfortunately, like no one wants to admit that they've been guilty of excluding someone. Um, And yet Jesus, like in the midst of everything that's going on in the midst of the chaos, it's like, and this is like, who is, who is able to come to my temple? There's no one that's outside of the ability to enter in, even if somebody else is having to bring them there because, well, a, a lame person couldn't get there on their own. Somebody was having to get them there. And so um, I just think it's, it's a great reminder that, you know, in Christ— there is none that is beyond, there's none that's unclean. Uh, just mm-hmm. like he told Peter, right? Right. Mm-hmm. There are none that are unclean. And so don't call unclean what I've made clean. And I think this is like a physical representation of Jesus saying, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. Yeah, I think in continuing this conversation, but also going way back to kind of where we started with some of the stuff that you brought up, Natasha, like where Jesus is flipping over these tables is in the, the court of the Gentiles. Like it's, it's actually a part of the temple. This is their space of worship. The temple had stages of where you could enter. And then the next one was where all of the Israelites could go. And and then the next one was where all the male Israelites could go. Like there, there was these phases of, of the spaces that you could enter and these, courts where this the market was set up was the place where the Gentiles could enter for worship. And the crazy thing about this is the people of Israel from their inception, from their call from God back in the Old Testament, the intention of Israel was to be a, uh, a kingdom of priests to the rest of the world. Like, Yes, the Israelites had priests, and the priest was supposed to be that intermediary between God and the people of Israel. But the people of Israel were also supposed to function essentially as a priest to the rest of the world, where they were that intermediary that that the blessings from God flowed through them and to others. And somewhere along the way, the Israelites lost sight of that. And this is a a physical representation of them losing sight of that because they have taken the court that is supposed to be for the rest of the world, you know, to, to receive that, that flow of blessing from God. They've taken that space and they've 
filled it with stuff for their own worship. And, and so now this isn't a place where a Gentile can come and, and bring an offering or, or worship to, to God because there's too much other chaos going on. And so Jesus is coming in and, and he is wiping this out because he's like, man, you guys are just, you're ruining what the intention was all along. Going back to some of the things that we talked about once again before we got on air, like how have we done this as a church? Like where do we bring in distractions or or have things in place that that distract from our purpose as a church? Where we are our intention is to bring honor and glory to God and then to allow others to see God, not to entertain them with what we have what we have to offer but show them what he has to offer. As you were talking, it occurred to me that Jesus, like they are right to feel, feel threatened by Jesus. Because if they are the people's conduit to God, Jesus is literally going to replace them. He is going to render their position useless and something they should be celebrating because now God is accessible to all mankind. They are, they are trying so desperately to hold on to because their, their kind of oppression of these, these others is what gives them their power and what gives them their identity and what gives them, yeah, their authority, all of it. And so it's just, Jesus is coming and he's going to dismantle this system and they can feel it and they can feel the pressure. And I think we've seen this happen over and over throughout history, right? Like we saw this with, with the Catholic church, with Martin Luther, right? Through this, this movement, you have this, this religious class that has basically oppressed the common people, the people that Christ was so welcoming to the temple. And yeah, like Luther calls this for what it is and says, no, we need to make this accessible for everyone. Christ died to make it accessible for everyone. They don't need a conduit to God. They need to recognize that they are empowered to have a relationship with Jesus just as they are. And I think in some ways we've done this today as the church, not maybe like trying to oppress, maybe like that's not our heart, but I think we've inadvertently caused people to believe that their relationship with Jesus is somehow contingent upon or dependent upon someone else to have that contact with God on their behalf. Hmm. And they've missed an opportunity to have a firsthand relationship with God, which is what Jesus came to offer. And I think this is when we talk about getting back to what the purpose of like what God's original intent or plan was, we really have to, in, in present day age, we have to help Christians understand that Jesus died to remove the the temple process. The need for an, an intermediary. He is. He is the intermediary. Right. We have direct access to God wherever we go. There is... The, I mean, you can you can go to school for all the training in the world, right? Like I'm sitting in a room with very, very educated people who have spent a lot of time studying God's word and studying how to study God's word. But I think for Christians to sell themselves short and to somehow think that they can't have that same revelation 
if God needs them to have it in a given moment, it's foolishness. You're believing a lie because you have been equipped and empowered by the same Holy Spirit and Jesus died to give it to you. And it's a shame to waste it. And yet people will sit in a pew and allow someone to speak into their life and think that that's the only way, like that that's the only person that has the truth and that it's not, sometimes we treat it like it's not as as accessible as it really is. Because if I come across like, well, I know more than you. Well, I've met a lot of people that know more, um, maybe like have a head knowledge of more, but um, like if we're not empowering people, if we're not discipling people to recognize that like you don't need me, like you don't need me to live out this relationship. What you need is Jesus. Now he might use me to help like guide you to certain places, but like you don't need me. That's why it's so accessible to us. Like I'm not trying to guard this. Like I have the only truth. It's not my truth. And if we don't treat salvation like when God saved you, it wasn't just for you. Like God saved you so that you could help others see the same thing. But I'm not the only one that has the truth. Like it's not like it's it's not mine, and I'm just holding it too. And I'm not going to let I'm not going to let you see it because I'm afraid that if you see it, then and you might come to understand or know more than I do. And like, obviously that's not the way God intended us to, to live our lives. And it doesn't always come, like you said, through, it may not come through scripture. It may come through a person. It may come through the Holy Spirit. Like it can come through a variety of avenues. But if we're sitting on a pew and just allowing someone to tell us what the truth is, we're really missing out on what God intended because no one man has all the truth other than Jesus. The truth himself. <laughs> yeah. I think that, so some people from, I won't say their names because I didn't ask permission, but um, if you're listening and you, you want to own this, we'll, we'll give you credit later. But um, some people from a church that we, we all attended previously, he would say, God doesn't have spiritual grandchildren. He doesn't. He wants a relation, a direct relationship with you. And if you're not creating the space or giving him the space for that, then he doesn't have a relationship with you and you're missing out on what, what could be yours, what should be yours. It's been bought with a price. But if leaders aren't discipling people, then we're no different than the, 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 the spiritual leaders at this time, because we're holding on to it. Like, I don't want you to have it because I, I enjoy this position of power, this position of prestige. And so like, if we're not helping others uncover, like walk through this relationship and what this can be like, and that it is yours. Like you can't live through me or through what I say or through what I do. Like we're selling people short. We're not helping people like live the fullness of this relationship because we're, we're making them think that they need us for this relationship. Yeah. And I want to, I want to be like clear on this. This isn't just talking about pastors who have authority and leadership. Like if, if you're, you're a teacher, if you are, if you are a parent, I mean, you are discipling others. So, I mean, this really applies to any Christian because you're speaking like you, you have a position of authority over someone, I'm sure, whether you recognize it or not. And so Mm -hmm. making sure that you are equipping and preparing people 
not by lording over your lording the knowledge you hold over them, right? But you're trying to help them get in direct contact with God as opposed to just feeding them. Something that uh, I've always said to those over me is that my intention is to ultimately work myself out of a job. Literally said this like last week. <laughs> yeah. Because if if I if that's what I'm doing, and specifically as we in reference to this conversation that that you've been having, Natasha and Derek, is if if I am working myself out of a job, that means that I am in fact equipping people to work in their own relationship with Jesus. That's what we're talking about with this whole horizontal living thing, right? Like us being able to listen to what it is that Jesus is saying. And then work that out in the life that we are living and then listen to Jesus and work it out in life and and then bring in the stuff that life is giving us, take it to Jesus, listen to Jesus and continue to work it out. Like that's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what all of us are supposed to be doing. Not just people that have reverend in front of their name, not just people that have father in front of their name. Like all of us are supposed to be doing that. Anybody who says that Jesus is Lord, this is how we are supposed to be living. And so I, I get that there, it is a journey. And I get that there are people who have been put in positions of authority, whether that's like a professional position of authority, like pastor, or maybe maybe your parent, or maybe your mentor, or like whatever, like you were saying, Natasha, maybe your Sunday school teacher. Like we, there are people, everybody is in some kind of position of authority with somebody under them. And so it should be our job, our goal to work ourselves out of that particular job that we find ourselves in for the people underneath us, that the people that that are coming to our class or the people that are attending our church or the people that are living in our house eventually will no longer need us because they have Jesus and because we have been working with them and, and pointing to Jesus and, and they no longer need us there to continue to remind them to point because they automatically go to him because they have that connection. That should be our goal. That And, and we should celebrate that. But I fear all too often, just like Pharisees and the, the religious leaders of the day, we want to hold on to it because if it, it's, it's scary. It, I can confess that. It's scary to work myself out of a job and trust that somebody else is going to go in the direction that they should be going. It takes a lot of faith and a lot of trust on, on my part, and yet that's what we're called to do. So we've been having this conversation uh, specifically about Jesus, you know, purifying the temple and beginning that process that is going to be continued throughout um, this this final week of Jesus's ministry and ultimately his death and his his resurrection. But as we move into this this conversation on the fig tree, I feel like when you hold these two stories together you actually get a fuller understanding of that picture that we're talking about of Jesus's authority and why he would be purifying the temple. And I've always struggled with the, the story of the fig tree and around our table on Sunday, um, the consensus was poor fig tree. Like what did it ever do wrong? Well, what it did wrong is it wasn't bearing fruit. It that, didn't do a job. Its job. It didn't do its job. It, it was, it was supposed to be bearing fruit. It had leaves. It looked pretty, 
but it wasn't bearing the fruit that it was supposed to bear. And so I think it's important that we don't just, you know, just look at the story on the fig tree, but it's held in connection with this conversation of the temple. And when we do that, um, I began to recognize that, that Jesus in the cursing of the fig tree is giving us almost a parable, uh, parable like understanding of exactly what he is doing. He is here to destroy and bring an end to those things which don't bear the fruit that they were intended to bear. Temple. When I look at this, I, I think about the conversation, Nick, that you were having about the, um, about leaders and Sunday I was with the children. Um, and it's always interesting cause you know, their minds are so much different than ours. And, um, we did sing a song on Sunday about the f- fruits of the spirit. So our minds were fresh with what the fruits of the spirit were. Um, so, and they were talking about, you know, we were talking about, you know, if we're not bearing the fruits of the spirit and you know, what, what God, you know, what God expects from us. And it's really hard to talk to kids and say, well, it withered and died. Um, and they're like, oh, are we going to die? And, you know, had to have a conversation. Well, no, but you know, we want to make sure we're bearing the, that fruit. Um, but it makes me think when you talk about the leadership, leadership is an honor. It is, um, it's privileged. And if we are not bearing the fruit that a leader is supposed to bear, he's going to take it away. If you're not, if you're not bearing the fruit that he is expecting you to bear, then you're not doing the job you're supposed to do. And really what's the point? What's the point of you being in that position? If you are not bringing people up to replace you, um, you're not doing the work that you were put there to do. Um, so that's, that's what I see when I look at the fig tree. I want to take that and just expand it even further and have this conversation. Uh, so, um, you know, I said earlier that the the people of Israel were to act as the priest to the rest of the world, right? Well, we today, as the people of God, are to be essentially behaving as that conduit to invite people in to have that direct connection with Jesus. Like, I get that that means that there's a, a maybe a, a moment where we are that in-between person, like we are the hands and feet of Jesus, but ultimately we're trying to get them to point to Jesus. Anyways, as the people of God, as the church today, I read this parable of the fig tree, and I begin to ask us, are we bearing the fruit that we ought to be bearing? We know what the fruit of the Spirit are. As the church, we are to be a people full of the Spirit, which means we should be a people full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This should be us, not, not just one of those pieces and we're working on the right. Like, this is the fruit of the Spirit. Like, when the Spirit is present, this is the fruit that results. So if we as a church are not bearing this fruit, then what's our point? What, what's our purpose? What's the point? I, I, I get, and there, I'm sure there's people that would be arguing right now if they were sitting next to me that, 
well, you know, we're all broken people and we're all on this journey. And yes, we are broken people. Well, we were. Jesus has made us whole and he is continuing to to work in us and grow in us. But we have got to stop using our brokenness as an excuse to not act like the one we call Lord. We're living in a new covenant. As we live in a new covenant, we have got to stop giving the excuse of the consequences of the old for the reason why we live the way we live. We have to, like, it's like an extension, but we have to quit remembering what God has forgotten. Like, mm-hmm. if, if, we've, if we've been forgiven, God has forgotten, like, our past. So we can't keep allowing that crutch to be the reason why we live below what God has called us to. But it's easy to get into that kind of like, well, you know, I, we live in a broken world and I, you know, I, we just give too much credit to really essentially like from listening to what you were saying, Nick, we just give too much credit to what God's forgiven. And it's easy to get into that pattern. Of, too much credit to what God has forgiven and what God gave his life to destroy. <laughs> right. It's but but it's it's easy in our mind, even though Easter was just a week ago, like in our mind, it's easy to just forget about that part because right. we don't want to think about the cost that was involved in that because it's easier just to you know use our our sin nature as a crutch for why we do the things we do and live below what God is is wanting us like what he like you said what he died for us to no no longer be bound to like we don't have to be bound to that nature we just give it too much credit i think that some of these these things in our lives that are that we hold on to and that we make excuses about maybe not even hold on to but keep falling back into right we keep trying to escape them in the in the closing portion of today's scripture it talks about the mountains and how, like, oh, you, Jesus says, you think it's so cool that I, you know, cursed this fig tree and I ended it. Well, if you have faith, you can do even greater things than this. You can move mountains. And I can't help but think, if we believe and we are resolved to follow Jesus and we believe him to help us be obedient and to bear the fruit he's called us to bear, that he will help us to move those mountains too. And that in his name, we will be able to declare that mountain go throw itself into the sea, and it will be so. The truth of the passage today is Jesus is going to cleanse that which doesn't bear fruit, whether it's the temple, whether it's the fig tree, or whether it's us. Yeah. Jesus is going to cleanse. And so... Maybe this is an invitation for us to take a step back in our own life and examine it. Like Natasha said earlier, you know, it's not comfortable when people bring things to us that, that need to change. When, when Jesus brings something to us that needs to change, but maybe we need to take an honest step back and say, okay, Jesus, search me. Where in my life am I not producing the fruit that you have called me to produce and give him the permission to cleanse? However uncomfortable it might be, however out of control it might make us feel, we have been invited to be cleansed.
Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.